Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Wow. God is great. Uh, God is worthy of all of our praise. Um, Can't think of much I'd rather be doing than singing together with all of you. God is so good. Um, I, I'm going to be um, preaching this morning uh, in line with the sermons we've been hearing this month. <clears throat> uh, we've heard sermons on racism, sexism, and ageism. And this series, really the point of this series is to really help us to see problems and sins that maybe we, we, we haven't seen before. Um, I know, um, I remember, you may remember when Brandon preached kind of the first sermon and, and set up kind of the, the structure for the series. Um, he, he talked about the churches that John wrote about in Revelation, and he um, he talked about how some of those churches had problems that they didn't see, and uh, and that's that's one of the focuses of our series is there may be problems in our church as we are seeking to live out uh, our lives as a unified body. There may be problems in our church that are harder to see, um, and that that's something that. That we we're, we've been trying to preach about, um, and so by by design, these sermons uh, ask us as preachers to talk about sin, uh, and that's uh, that's hard to do. Um, it's hard to do for ourselves. It's hard for us to look at uh, the Word and ask God to show us our own sin. Um, it's, it's hard for us to talk about sin when, um, when we are in a community with people whom, whom we love and we know that it's hard when someone points out my sin or, or God points out my sin, we know it's hard, but we do it with the faith that the proclamation of the truth and of righteousness is good for us, uh, that we're going to get into after this week, we're going to get into what do we as a congregation do with sin, and particularly corporate sin that we may share. Um, so I'm going to focus again today on another sin that may be found in our congregation, in our midst. I'm going to talk about classism, um, and particularly, so the, the definition of classism I'm using is a collective prejudice formed into a system of inequality. So. By definition, I think the things we've already heard about are a type of classism. We've talked about racism, we've talked about uh, sexism, we've talked about ageism, which really are collective prejudices that can be formed into a system of inequality. Um, <clears throat> when we look at the scripture and what we will see this morning, I, I think a good term from scripture about the problem is favoritism. We're going to read some scripture about favoritism this morning. I'm going to talk particularly this morning about the prejudices that exist or, or we may even find in our church based on wealth and education. 
Um, I would love to talk a long time about the theology of poverty, uh, the philosophy of education, uh, global perspectives on wealth in the church and outside the church. Um, and uh, I think the challenge for me as I was preparing to preach this morning was, um, what's the point? Like, what? How, in, in 30 minutes, um, what is the point as it relates to the series that we're in? And, and really, my focus, uh, similar to what Saul said last week, my focus is really going to be about where does this problem impact us as believers, as we, particularly in the church, strive to live out a life that looks like the body of Jesus. Um, how does this problem um, affect us? Um, but one thing that's that may be a bit different about <clears throat> wealth and education level is is they they seem to be a little different than age or gender or race in that um, you may find yourself rich today and poor tomorrow and rich the day after. <laughs> um, your education status may be a, a one a one a one time and then later it may be different and you may find the education you had 10 years ago is no longer relevant. So to some extent, these are more transitory categories that we find ourselves in. Um, so they're a little different, but I think they share a lot. You know, these issues uh, are very similar to the issues that we've been talking about. Um, I wanted to say I've seen quite a bit of kindness in our church. Um, and even this morning, as we're hearing the announcements, um, if you've been at City of Refuge, uh, I think you, you know and you see uh, that God's love is here. Um, and I, I know this is something that we want to do well. Uh, because Jesus has led us to, to want to do this well. Um, so that doesn't mean that we're without sin, though. Well, I also wanted to share that I wrestle this morning, uh, I, actually, as I do most times I preach, with uh, being the prophet, but also the object of the prophet. So um, my, uh, my prayer this morning is that, just as the uh, other preachers have asked, it's impossible to cover the topic in 30 minutes, and it's impossible for me to do it justice. And my prayer has been that God will give me the words to say. Um, I, I pray for grace uh, and that each of us would be listening. This month is about us listening to the conviction of the Spirit in each of our hearts. This, this is not about um, you know, criticizing others. Uh, this is not about establishing some different class in the church. This is really about listening others. And, and man, I would love to just move straight into next month and right after this sermon, us have a time of corporate <laughs> repentance, confession, and forgiveness because we know that is the hope that we have in Christ. But for this morning, um, I would just ask that each of us listen. And um, like, like Jesus said, if, if, if there's something you hear that's from the Lord, that you hold on to it. 
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we love you. Uh, we, we thank you, God, for calling us. We thank you for being here with us. We thank you, God, for demonstrating your love for us. Um, you came down from heaven to show us the way as we sang. Uh, we thank you for your, your grace in walking with us, and that part of that is um, your Holy Spirit convicting us when we don't look like you and when we sin. God, I, I pray that you would help us and help me, give me the words to say this morning um, that we as a church could grow into your image. And I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Okay, um, so I believe that there will always be sin in the church. I, I believe that until, um, until Jesus comes back. Um, so the question I think we're asking is not whether there's sin, but how does it, how does sin in particular uh, become normative in a church and unaddressed? How is it that when we have clear teaching in the, in the, in the scripture, life of Christ, the commands of Jesus, uh, yet as a church we ignore them uh, wholesale uh, without apology? And one thing I've seen is that often that happens when there are other false beliefs that we don't address and we don't understand that we hold. <clears throat> and I'm going to talk about two of those that I think are relevant, in particular when we talk about favoritism around wealth and education. Uh, first is materialism. And you probably know what materialism is, but um, it assumes that matter is all that exists. When we talk about materialism in the church, often what we mean by, material, by materialism is that we put a focus on possessions. We put a focus on possessions and money. Um, but those two definitions are really related because the only reason we would do that would be if we believe that they are all that exist. But the scripture teaches something else. Um, so if you turn with me to Isaiah, chapter 4, I'll read a verse that I've uh, meditated on um, quite a bit. So, verse 8. The flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Oh, you may have heard this before, but Isaiah the prophet says that there will be fading of the things that we see, but the word of God stands forever. So the word of God is eternal. The things we see are not eternal, and they will fade. If you look at uh, 1 Timothy, so let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6, verses 7 and 8. We have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. 
So again, a reminder that things should not be our focus. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, Jesus says the same thing. Don't focus on the things that are here that will be gone tomorrow. And then in 2 Peter, chapter 3, uh, Peter uh, boldly, very, very boldly contradicts this idea that matter is all there is. 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So P Peter here says again in a different way that the world is temporal. Matter is not uh, eternal. And our hope and our view needs to be the hope that God has for us in the future. So Christians, we cannot accept materialism. We cannot accept it as truth. And I, I, think that, um, I think that this is not controversial. I think we know this. I think we, in the, in the Lord, I think we've probably heard this before. But materialism leads to many things that we see in our society and I think even in our church. Jesus warns about it. He warns about the pursuit of wealth. He gives many warnings about the dangers of a focus on what is in front of us. Worrying about it, being anxious, 
being tangled up in it. But one danger in particular as it relates to the series that we're preaching now is that we can either fail to recognize how wealthy we are, we can value the pursuit of wealth even though we're warned often not not to pursue wealth, and because of that we can show favoritism to the wealthy. I came across a quote when I was preparing that when money is an idol, to be poor is a sin. So we need God's mercy. There's a a second false belief that can affect the way that we relate to each other in the church that I wanted to talk about, and that's humanism. And humanism is uh, takes takes a while, could 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 take a while to define, but what I want to focus on is that within humanism. We rely on man and rationality to solve man's problems. So when we think about the problems that we see in the world, uh, when we think, first of all, when we define them and when we prioritize them, are they based on materialism? Are they based on a godless humanism? What problems do we see when we look at the world? Do we see the problems that God says are the problems? And second, who do we rely on to solve them? Do we rely on man? Do we rely on reason to solve the problems that God says are are the big ones? Um, The psalmist says that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of God, the name of the Lord our God. Uh, this, this call not to trust in man is all throughout the Psalms, the prophets. And this is important for us to recognize. This was happening, I think, in the church, uh, early church. There were different beliefs uh, collected under this term of Gnosticism where knowledge gained special knowledge was important to really understand the gospel to really understand so you heard the gospel but to really understand it you need this and oh by the way you know I and these people are the only ones who who actually know it uh, in John in the first letter John wrote um, I'll read that actually first John chapter 2. Part of uh, this letter John writes is to encourage the church to believe in the gospel as they received it and not to be distracted by these ideas that you need something extra added by man. 
1 John chapter 2, 26 to 27, John says, These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, so abide in him. Now this should be something that as believers that we expect the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel as we've received it to be sufficient for us. Paul encourages Timothy that scripture is sufficient for you to live a life of godliness. It's sufficient for you to instruct those who you're instructing on how to live a life of godliness. So even, even this idea that Problems are best solved by reason and man can come into the church. And it had already done that um, shortly after the gospel. Now, humanism leads to pursuit of education and institutions as the solution to eliminate man's problems. Similar to the quote above, we could say that a prevailing attitude in our culture is that when education is an idol, to be uneducated is a sin. But God's, God is the only one with the correct diagnosis and the cure. We know that the problems in our world all stem from sin. This is the reason that the world is broken, is because of sin. And we know that the solution to sin is not through reason. It's through our faith in our Savior, our perfect Savior, Jesus. So let's look to his life and see what his life says about these things. You remember when Jesus was born, and you remember who the angels announced his birth to. He was born in a manger, and his birth was announced to shepherds. You remember he was presented at the temple in Luke chapter 2, and there's a, a little bit of subtlety there that the, the offering that his parents brought because they brought uh, birds, that that offering was the contingency offering if you were not wealthy enough to bring a lamb. We know that when the Magi visited him, they brought him gifts of wealth. They brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh. But when he started his ministry, he was relying on gifts from his disciples. He told potential disciples in uh, Luke chapter 9, remember he said, foxes have holes and hen have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He was saying this to potential disciples to say, if you're going to follow me, just like I live, you aren't going to be sure whether you have a place to stay what is going to how how, um, how comfortable it will be he didn't graduate from any elite schools he didn't hold any religious positions he was not particularly educated or wealthy and who did he choose as his disciples he didn't choose from the sanhedrin he chose mostly fishermen. He chose a tax collector. He chose an activist. But what about the early church? 
I like 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the wisdom of this world foolish? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, that though there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. And when we look at the church, we think about, we can think about why did we need deacons? Why were the deacons formed? It was because we needed to feed people who needed food. And when you look at the various instructions to the church, early church leaders in, in Timothy's and Titus, instructions about how to take care of those who needed help. So from early in the church, um, God didn't choose the leaders or those who were elect based on these criteria that the world may value. Um, but Jesus gave them a gift. Jesus gave us as his church a, a gift. You know, it's it's more more valuable. The treasure that we have, the treasure um, that God has given us is, is like what uh, Jesus said when he said, you know, when someone discovered a treasure in a field that was buried, and he went and sold everything he had for that one field because he knew in that field was a treasure that was worth everything that he had. It was a good deal. It was a good deal for him to give up everything he had for what was buried on that field. And that's the treasure that God gave his people, those who put their faith in Christ, those who received the gospel. That's the treasure. It's worth everything else we have. We have forgiveness. We have, through his name, we have freedom from the bondage of sin. We have hope in our eternal life. We have been brought into a fellowship of love with brothers and sisters who have given their lives to follow Jesus as well. He fills us with joy instead of fear, anxiety, fear of death. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we saw 
how even with the um, proclamation of his birth to the shepherds, there's a theme running through this that Jesus, Jesus was not born wealthy or educated and did not, God did not see fit to establish a group of people proclaiming the gospel who were necessarily wealthy or educated. So the question, the question that I have, the question I ask myself, the question I think we should ask ourselves is, what if, what if Jesus were in our church? How, how would we respond? How would we react to a person who had claimed to have a message about eternal truth? a message, a treasure that was more important than any other treasure that we had and, um, and was homeless and didn't have uh, a degree to credential his claim. How would we treat him? I don't know. Um, I've asked myself that for a lot of years and I, I don't know how I would, how I would see Jesus as he was on this earth. Um, I think Jesus says that um, we, can, we can see somewhat how we might treat him by how we treat others who live like he did. So that's, that's one way for us to know, but I don't know. But I think it's a question we should ask ourselves. Uh, God blessed me with a period in my life to be without a home when I was younger, and after that, uh, he blessed me with a period of several years spending time with homeless and poor people. And after that, he blessed me with a home where they, many of them could, could live with me. And over those years, I learned a lot about God's grace and love and I learned a lot from the people that I became close to. And I'd, I'd love to talk more. I mean, if, if you know me, you've probably heard the stories about um, my time during those years. Uh, I, just, I just don't have time this morning to talk about them. But the Lord taught me so many lessons. He corrected so many things. Uh, some of those stories are pretty crazy. And, uh, and pretty funny, and yeah, I would like to talk with you if you get time. Um, but I began to see how, one thing, God provided for people just in time. I began to see how wisdom and education are not the same thing. Uh, I began to see God's distribution of spiritual gifts and boldness did were not in consideration of people's worldly status. And I think that my own experiences being, being without a home um, helped me to be ready to receive some of those lessons. Um, and I knew God loved me when I, was, when I was poor, when I was homeless. And, and again, this is American definition of poor and homeless. Um, but why was I surprised that he loved others? How much of this worldview had I picked up 
from the culture that I had been educated in and how much of it was just uh, my own inherent sinful tendency to judge other people. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I realized, though, through, through those years that favoritism was a sin. Um, and, I, and I realized that it was in me. You know, when, when I look at others based on their, their poverty or lack of education, it's a sin. And uh, the Bible calls it favoritism. That's what the scriptures talk about. And I'd like to go to James chapter 2. So get ready, y'all, because James chapter two, you know, James does not hold back. So you may have a, a title. Uh, my title for my par- paragraph here is says the sin of partiality. But uh, starting... In James 2, verse 1, my brothers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with the gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, haven't you now made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor brethren. So what we see here, well, first of all, is James clearly defining favoritism and, and, and saying clearly that this is no place in our church, this favoritism or partiality. But the other thing I think is interesting here is that in verse 5, he says, the poor are rich. So he says, actually, the poor are rich. So how can that be? How, I mean, is there, I mean, poor and rich are opposites, right? I mean, so how is it that the poor are rich? And really, there's, it doesn't make sense unless we understand that God has a different economy than we do. So the poor, poor materially, poor don't have things made of matter, tangible possessions, bank accounts, are rich. And how are they rich? Rich in faith. So it is, it is possible to be rich and poor at the same time. And when we see God's economy, which is different than man's economy, and the kingdom we're in, the kingdom we're in is that the treasure is what's in the box buried in the field, not the things you sell to get them. So I think a question 
we need to ask as a church is, with whom do we identify? With what economy do we identify? When we see rich and poor, are we looking at it from the world's perspective of rich and poor? Or are we looking at it from God's perspective, rich and poor? Do we see our brothers who come in, one wealthy and one poor, do we see them as bearing in the same image of God? Do we see them as those who have both put whatever they have into the treasure of the gospel? Do we identify with Jesus? Do we identify with the homeless man uh, who walked for, for years just ministering and loving others without any possessions? Do we identify with our brothers and sisters around the world? Uh, hundreds of millions of poor. Session and staff, are we first and foremost co-laborers with pastors and missionaries who are around the world that don't have educational credentials and may not have money? Who are we when we say we? Who are we? Is it us and the poor? Or does we include the poor of our brothers and sisters? You know, when, when sometimes something I've kind of learned in sit, sitting in services with brothers and sisters of mine whom I known didn't have any, anything to their name, when we say we need to help the poor, what, do, what does that mean for those in our congregation who are poor and want to help? There's no partiality with God and worldly success is not godliness. When we show favoritism, we create divisions in his body that he does not intend. This is not how when he left us as the church to represent his body, he did not intend for us to make divisions based on these criteria. Now, I, I did, you know, there's, man, a hundred caveats I would love to, like, have time to go into, and I, and I don't, okay? But, uh, so please, again, just take what I'm saying and, and hear what the Lord may be saying to you. But one thing I wanted to say is, you know, the scripture does acknowledge the poor and the rich. The scripture talks about the poor. The scripture talks to the rich. In fact, if you read, we don't think we have time. If you read further into James, James says, rich, rich people, you got a problem and you need to change. So this does not mean that we ignore reality. We ignore matter. That's not what this means. Um, I, would, I would, at a high level, just characterize that the scripture tells the poor not to desire to be rich and also not to seek God merely to alleviate suffering. And to the poor, lots of warnings. Beware. Um, your, your wealth is a big risk. You're to use it for the good of others, particularly those who are poor. Also, the scripture tells us to use whatever gifts we have to serve. And there are, you know, we've talked in, over the past year, we've talked about trying to help as a church, trying to help people identify and use their gifts. 
and, you know, in, in one sense, we could say, well, that's dis distinguishing, that's discriminating, you know? Well, you have that gift, or you don't have this gift. Um, and that's, that's not a problem. Uh, the scripture tells us to use it. I mean, if we have carpenters in the church and we have something break, are we going to ask the carpenter to come fix it, or are we going to ask, you know, the artist to come fix it? I mean, you know, so, yeah, we, we need to use the gifts that we have in the church to serve the church. And those gifts are good, and God has given them to you. And there will be a time you will see when, uh, when the church needs it. But we shouldn't be using occupation or educational level or bank account size to filter who we receive from, to filter who is leading the church. Remember that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. We need faith, right? I mean, we want our church to be a church of faith. So I had a few things um, that over, just over time, as God has been working in my heart, um, I've, I've found to be good questions to ask or maybe ways to apply this. I'm just gonna read some of these. Um, again, these are not, a checklist of things to go to go do, but they may kind of help you think about and process what the Lord may be sharing with you. So, for for those who are well educated, uh, people who win Scrabble, consider simplifying your speech. There's no there's no no bonus points. We don't get word bonus points when we're talking about the gospel. Hang out with people who didn't go to college. If you didn't go to college, hang out with people who did. Uh, when you're choosing who to mentor, etc. cetera. Um, we're, um, we're nominating, nominating committee members and we're nominating elders and deacons. Um, think, think about that, but check whether your filter needs to be readjusted who you see is qualified. <laughs> learn about the world, Christian poor. Learn about, learn about what God is doing. Learn how, where the church is wealthy, the church is not growing. And where the church is poor, it is. Serve, don't just give. Reconsider goals for your children. So if, if your children were asked what's important to you as a parent for their future, would there be an assumption that wealth and educational status are a priority? Or even, even worse, more of a priority than their faith? If you're rich, give your workers a raise, even if you don't have to. Uh, meet, meet the people at your workplace who don't have degrees. Ask people who aren't in your circles for prayer and for help and for advice. So to some extent, when we talk about favoritism, I mean, what it means is 
these are our favorites. Right? So when you look around at your favorites, and we all have favorites, when you look around at your favorites, are those favorites your favorites because uh, God has led you to them? These are relationships that God has led you to. Or are your favorites based on people that are a lot like you? And, and again, it's just something to think about and pray about. One thing that really helped me um, get over a lot of the barriers I had was to practice literal obedience to Jesus's command to give to everyone who asks. So consider to do that. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do, but I would say God blessed me through that. So I just wanted to encourage us that, you know, remember one of the themes of this path of this sermon series is that we all are made in God's image and that this is God's desire for the church. Um, we studied before last year that Jesus's prayer was that we would be unified, but why aren't we? And I think we need to ask the question about why we aren't unified in these areas. And what are the fundamental assumptions that we make? And maybe to justify, or maybe we just haven't thought of them before. Um, again, I, 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 f I felt this would be a difficult message to share, and it's uh, true, it was. Um, but my prayer is that for each of us, there is something that God has shared this morning about how do we love one another when we inevitably are going to be, should be, um, different um, classes? And that it's not the church that should be establishing those barriers within the church. So let me pray for us. Dear Lord, um, thank you so much for your love, for coming and showing us a way to live and a way to love one another and be in fellowship together. I pray, God, that you would help us as a church to walk out our love for you as we love one another. I pray that you would, um, for each one of us, just show us a way to walk in obedience to you. Lord, we pray that City of Refuge would be rich in faith and that we would not, we would not show partiality to each other because you don't don't show partiality, God. We thank you for not using our own merit as a basis for saving us because none of us could stand. And we thank you for your grace in Jesus. And I pray this for us in the name of Jesus. Amen.